by railway. You can reach me by a trailway. You can reach me on an airplane. You can reach me with your mind. You can reach me by a caravan. Cross the desert like an errand man. I don't care how you get here, just get here if you can. You can reach me by sailboat. Climb a tree and swing rope to rope. Take a sled and Everybody, welcome back to the hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we get to hear from another guest that I have been trying to track down for a couple of years. It is Olita Adams. Now, you may remember the story of Olita. She was discovered in a Kansas City hotel bar performing by Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith of Tears for Fears, who brought her on to sing some songs on the 1989 album, The Seeds of Love, and that basically launched her solo career. Now, I say discovered in air quotes, because as you'll find out here, she had been sort of toiling away as a very popular draw on the hotel entertainment circuit for over a decade by the time that all happened, and other artists were coming through and making big promises to turn her into a star. They just never quite followed through. And Roland and Kurt were really the first ones to make it happen. And she did have a lot of success, especially in the early 90s, although she's been going strong ever since. This song right here, Get Here, reached number five in 1991. It's probably her biggest hit. So we talk about all of this stuff. Did you even know there was a hotel entertainment circuit to be a part of? I had no idea. That alone is a fascinating conversation and a fascinating look into a culture within show business that you would have no idea even existed. But she played that game for years, still does to some degree. We talk about her brand new album, Third Set, that came out this year. She also tells a really funny but also sad story about kind of getting screwed over by Elton John. Elton's a great guy, this is not a knock on him, but you'll find out from this story what I'm talking about. She's a really lovely lady, and as you guys probably know, Tears for Fears are one of my all-time favorite bands. And so I've had a fascination with her ever since I heard The Seeds of Love. She sings on some of my all-time favorite songs. And no one sounds like Olita Adams. Her voice is absolutely unmistakable. And I hope this sounds respectful. I absolutely mean it to. Google image Olita Adams. She's in her 60s and she looks fantastic. I was blown away. She's a wonderful lady. She called me from her home in Kansas City. Okay, well, so for starters, I'm afraid I have to ask you to recount the story you've probably told a million times. And I, yeah. want, to know how, I want to know how you came to be uh, involved with Tears for Fears. Well, let's see. <laughs> Uh, do you remember the story? Of, yeah, I do remember the story, okay. but, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the lowest of lows, it came before Tears for Fears. Oh. I had been very successful. Understand that this is my, this is 2017, this is my 46th year in the business. That is incredible. 
See, that's where everyone else thinks that it was like an overnight thing and, oh, right. gosh, you only had a good 20 years. That's not quite true. You know, I've been working since 71 professionally, and I worked all across the United States. I landed, I finally landed, because I'm from the state of Washington, and I worked all over the state of Washington as well as going back and forth to places like Michigan and Alaska and California wow. and Oregon, Idaho, you name it, Seattle, sure. just all over the place, right? Uh-huh. And uh, in fact, I thought things would happen for me in, in the early 70s when I was the only singer for the Peggy Fleming show, A Concert on Ice is what it was oh, called. Wow. And I thought that, you know, it was a traveling skating show, obviously, and they had, you know... a, a couple of uh, quite a few trucks because they would go and set up the next stage for the next performance mm-hmm. ahead of time while we were performing on you know in one city and we went we traveled for a year basically and you know i i had um like golf shoes or whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> your shoes to be able to walk on the ice you know in oh, my formal sure. gown and Funny. i took over from some sisters and they were like it was like four sisters or something who were singing, and uh, and uh, they found out that I could do all the singing, plus I had my featured whole thing and on the ice. Everything was done on the ice, and we had a, a pianist who was featured named Walt Wagner, who's from Washington area, mm-hmm. and uh, we had, uh, you know, dual skaters, duo skaters and so forth, you know, a pair of skaters mm-hmm. as well as the whole company of skaters. So it was very pretty, actually, because, sure. you know, Peggy Peggy was like a ballerina on ice. Yeah. And so yeah. anyway, um, I thought in the early 70s, I think that was around 73 or 72, I thought that things would happen for me then when we played Reno. And mm-hmm. I finally got a chance to go there, and I thought, oh, this is really going to happen. But what happened was, you know, you get to Reno or Vegas, and the shows there have to be a certain amount of time in the casinos, well, it, well, you know, in the show places because they want to get everybody back into the casinos to, you know, make some money, yeah. well, lose some money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the parts that I had in the show, they cut my part except oh. for the opening and the closing. And it was a night where I think Ed McMahon was going to be there and, oh. you know, some other people. And we did it. We yeah. took one show, and Phyllis Diller was was the, at the head oh. of this show. And then she took the first uh, one half, and then Peggy Fleming had the other. So that that's why they had to cut the show down, and I got cut. So basically oh. I got to go out and... You know, I'd sing the opening number, then go out and see a show, and then run yeah. back in time to do the closer. It was really heartbreaking, and I was very yeah. upset, and I was very embarrassed. Uh, yeah. I didn't even want to tell my family what had happened. You know, after being with them for like a year, it was just heartbreaking. That was one of the low lows. But it gave me experience, and that was very early in my career. And then I, I got a chance to work around the country and build up a reputation, and I landed eventually in 75. I landed in uh, Kansas City at a Westin Hotel, and I became very popular here to the point where at the Westin Crown Center, 
there were long lines. I'd do three uh-huh. shows a night, six wow. nights a week. And, and that was your it, that was your schedule for years and years at that point. That's oh, got to be grueling. yeah. For it, I know it's grueling. <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. Right. You're yeah. exactly right. That's why I'm tired now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I mean, even people on Broadway, you know, they do, a, they do a season or something, and then they leave. But you're you're there for years doing these. Six yeah, you're nights talking a week. about one person singing and yeah. playing piano with a bass and and drums, and you know that's a, and, and three one hour shows, and I would change clothes in between each set. Oh. You know, it was hard work, but um, I learned my craft very very well, and Good. so. That, you know, and I was very successful here in Kansas City. There were billboards up and stuff uh, when I left the West. And then, uh, did you ever hear about the Hyatt that where the second story fell down and killed like 116 people? Yeah, I do you remember, that, remember in the, that. Yes, in the 80s. Well, yes. After that happened, a few years after that, they asked me when Crown Center, uh, the Western wouldn't have me there anymore. Those were some more loads. Because, mm. you know, I always thought, well, if you have the audience, you have the following, you have, you jam the room, you're supposed to be successful, you should never have to worry about working there. I told my manager, my mentor, as she was breaking the news to me, that they weren't going to have me there anymore. They wanted real jazz because a new GM would come in, change everything, starting with the window washers, and then go all the way down. You know, the entertainment, he wanted yeah. to do something else. The food and beverage person would always, you know, change things yeah. when when that changed over. So it was heartbreaking then. When you're already successful and you still lose a job, what is yeah. that? So that that was another low. So I, you know, went to other places like Tulsa, Oklahoma, and all over the country mm. trying to find work. But uh, can I stop high- you for one second? I'm curious when you say try to find work. I mean, I don't think any of us would uh, would know or have any kind of idea what the hotel entertainment circuit is like. Are you going? Are you hearing like, ooh, they're 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 looking for a new singer in Des Moines, and then oh, you no, pack up I and had go agent. to Des Moines. Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. so there's an oh, agent. Oh, but by the that, way, yeah, that my okay. very first gig was in. Uh, it was supposed to be Des Moines, we thought, and it oh. ended up being Cedar Rapids, Iowa. That's so interesting <laughs> that you said that. Wow, uh, how about that? <laughs> that's another funny story. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, no, I had agents. And okay. I had an agent and a manager. And okay. uh, my and manager. Did you go to the town and audition? Like you would no, go no, 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 uh-uh. Oh, okay. No, no uh-uh. I, I lived in Washington State, and the agent, and sometimes a place like, like for Kansas City, I was performing at another, they used to be called Western International before they became Western okay. mm-hmm. Hotels. That's yeah. before your time, but... Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, okay. the food and beverage manager from back here in Kansas City, for example, heard me in like 1974 out there in Washington State at another one of their properties, at their main property, the Washington Plaza. I was playing out there when I was uh, in my early 20s. 
And they liked it so much, they said, how would you like to come back to Kansas City? I went, well, uh, I guess so. Um, yeah, okay. Steady job. And, uh, yeah, like, why not? Okay. Sure, uh, yeah. And then people would say, ooh, you're going to Kansas City? Yeah. I hear they got cows in the street back there. <laughs> <laughs> no cows. Yeah, no, no cows. cows. <laughs> Instead, we went down Main Street and from the... Uh, airport got downtown and there's all these tall buildings and one incredible building that was built uh, on this natural waterfall was this incredible hotel called Crown Center, the Western International Crown Center Hotel. Mm. And it was new, relatively new, though it they had a waterfall they built a hotel around the waterfall, um, and in the waterfall you could see on the inside of the lobby. Um, it's called, and the room I played was called the Signboard Bar, mm. and it was called that because on top of that mountain there used to be signs, you know, uh, oh, from sure. just advertising things right. from, all, from all over Kansas City. So that's right. why it was called Signboard Bar. Okay. Uh, a very historical place. And yeah. as you walk in this huge lobby, straight ahead was the bar where it was just a little room. Okay. But they, we would, I would crowd people in there and and just jam them in there right. and. And you can make a it, decent living as a as the Kansas City the Western Hotel. Well, it wasn't just yeah, then, I did yeah. back in those days. Yes, I worked okay. a lot. I went from place to place to place. Yeah. Obviously, nowhere near what I do now, you know. I sure, mean, of course. But for uh, what it was I, at the time, I mean, at the time, your dreams yeah. probably aren't completely coming true, but at least you're making a living as a musician. That's Absolutely. better than sitting at a desk, you know, it's showcasing your talent. And getting exposure, because let yeah. me tell you something about the city here. When I landed in Kansas City, this hotel that I'm talking about, every... All of the games, you know Kansas City is quite a sports town, right, with the oh, Royals. Yeah. And we oh, used yeah. to have the Kings back in those mm-hmm. days. We had the I Kings. Remember. And then we also had the football teams as well. Mm-hmm. We had baseball, Indeed. basketball, football. And um, the most of the teams would stay at this hotel. Oh, so, I see. Uh, 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 Reggie, Reggie, um, Reggie Jackson? Jackson yeah. would come in every year, every time, every time he'd come in there and in, in, into town to play, the Royals, he'd stay at that hotel and he'd come in and hear me. No way. Uh, and people like all of the major music groups who came through yeah. would always stay at that hotel. So, oh. you know, we're talking about, Everyone from Cab Calloway to Air Supply to oh, James Taylor to uh, Eartha Kitt. Oh, my gosh. Just a lot of famous, yeah. famous people, including George Benson, who when uh, he found me, he tried for three years to get me a jazz deal with uh, uh, Warner Brothers Jazz. Oh, really? And it okay. didn't work out if you. So if you talk to him, he'll tell you that he discovered me. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Nice. Because that was going to be my question. If these people are coming through and they're hearing you, it sounds like then that Tears for Fears weren't the first people to to, uh, approach you about 
you know, breaking you out of Kansas City. That may have been a Oh no. You've heard that a uh-uh. million times by the time they come around. You're probably exactly that's probably service by that point. Exactly. So that's like you like, you know, George Benson the the first group I believe, let me see, that was in like seventy seven. Let me oh, see. Wow. George was I think in the eighties. But okay. the first ones to really try to break me out was a group called Yes. Because they stayed yes. there. Do you remember them? I love Yes. Yeah, okay. the rock well, band. The, the group, yes, were, they brought in Ahmet Erdogan from Atlantic Records and uh, introduced him to me. And in the, wow. uh, around 78, because we celebrated. <clears throat> 77 around, was the bicentennial. 70, well, it was like 77 or 78. Okay. They, uh, uh, Ahmet Erdogan came in, introduced by uh, Yes. And uh, he flew me to... Uh, New York for an audition. He took me to Atlantic Records. I auditioned with him and a uh, an engineer, and he said thank you very much. And then you know walked me to the street corner, where I stood there and walked back across the street to my hotel, and that was the last of that. Nothing oh, happened. Right. That was another low point. I thought, yeah, oh my gosh. I thought, that fine. You know, he asked me, it was like. Could you sing once, you know, sing yeah. this kind of song? And and I sang, I don't even remember what I sang. And then, you know, okay, could you sing two songs exactly the same type yeah. of song? Yeah. And can you sing a, a real rhythm and blues or bluesy? And I sang an Aretha Franklin song. There you go. And, yeah. he, and that did nothing for him. So uh, nothing happened there. See, this is fascinating because it goes back to what you were saying at first, how everyone thinks that you're an overnight sensation. And you oh, realize yeah. that, that there are there is years of experience and stops and starts and almost happening way before Tears for Fears come into the picture. And then it finally happens. I think that's fascinating. That's do, you know David, do you know David Ruffin? Oh, sure. From- yeah. Yeah, well, he came and he used to come in that room, and somebody brought him in to listen to me, and they oh, she really sings, and you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, well, she's got a lot to learn. That's his only comment. Tell you know, what's going to happen? She's going to blow her chops out before she no discovered. That's what he said. And I went back to Michigan to play a, a bar back there, and that was successful, too. That was extremely successful in one of it was David saw me there as well, and uh, he he just wasn't having it. It was like, <laughs> well, you know, you'll never last. Yeah. And that place was had crowds of people going around the corner, but those were the days when the wire hubcaps. Yeah. Do you oh, remember the sure. hubcaps when they yeah. were? They became very fanciful, and they yes, you know they they were back in like seventy. Uh-huh something. They, yeah. Very cool hubcaps. Well, there were a lot of cars there because I was popular, so a few cars got their hubcaps ripped off, including <laughs> oh, my car. Oh, no. So the, so the hotel informed me that they no longer wished to employ me because they thought I brought in the wrong group of people. Oh, I brought God. in a, a whole lot of black people. It's Michigan. Oh, well, what else? Good. Yeah, of course. So I, I lost that job. They didn't oh, like the clientele. Well, now I'm curious, yeah. though. So, I mean, along the way here, 
I know that they're bringing, you know, Ahmed Erdogan, Erdogan your, your um, audition. Yeah, the audition, for him. yeah. Um, now, maybe the the career that's all based on you doesn't happen, but why why are you not at least singing backup on a George Benson album? You know what I mean? Oh, no, because or they know cast- that my voice is too big for that. Oh, really? Okay. So that, yeah. okay. There so are some voices are that are great for Got blending, it. but my voice is so distinct. Uh, so distinctive until uh, if there, I've had producers not want me to sing back on, up on my own record. Oh, I have done it anyway. Sure. But when I okay. became a producer, I did my own <laughs> Got it. and mixed with some others. But yeah, the voice is so distinctive okay. and the voice is so powerful. Even though I'm very flexible and very sure. versatile, you were an all or nothing um, artist. Yes. Okay. Right. Got it. Okay. So, so then, what, um, so when Roland and Kurt come around, are they just on tour? They're on tour there, I believe. Oh no, they, no, no. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yes. Okay. That's true. That's okay, true. Well, I got, I got like you the. I told you all of that. The reason why yeah. I told you that is that with all the success I had at Crown Center, when the new guy came in, he fired me, and huh. even the because he wanted to do something different. He wanted real jazz because he thought that's what Kansas mm. City is. It's jazz town. He wanted okay. real jazz, so he didn't want me. Okay. So I, in the 80s, was invited after the accident at Hyatt. They said, you know, Alita, would you come over here? We'll take you because you have a following. And I lost half my following because a lot of people had helped pull the bodies out, and they said, I can't ever go back in that hotel. Mm-hmm. So sure. I went over there to the Hyatt, and that's where... Tears for Fears saw me was at Got the it. Hyatt. Okay. In '85. Okay. And that oh. and that guy had pulled out the stops for me. The guy, the food and beverage guy, he mm. built the room for me. Oh really. wow! Interesting. And uh, and called it. It was called the Duck Club. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> it was a much fancier place than. Uh, the Crown Center. Okay. Crown Center was kind of funky. It was yeah. it was cool though. Okay. The duck the duck club again, you know, you they paid to get in and it was that guy there who had mm. put the sign the uh billboards all around town. So folks thought I was a spokesman for the Hyatt Hotel so mm. you could every day I went to work at, at and, and I would pass myself on the way, you know, looking at mm-hmm. the I still have matches. He had matches made. I I have a whole jar of matches from that era. <laughs> he did quite a, an advertising okay. campaign. Yeah. So it was on one of those nights in '85 that because I at, before I got that gig. No, no, no. That was after. Okay. So it was on one of those nights that uh, okay. Tears for Fears was playing in town. And they mm-hmm. stayed at the Hyatt. Right. So they did their gigs, went up to their room, and I played from 9 to 1, you know, three shows. Okay. Mm-hmm. They went up to their room, changed clothes, came downstairs, paid the cover charge and the two-drink minimum, and they sat there listening to me. But I did not meet them. I knew they were okay. there because John told me, my husband, he yeah. was at that time not my husband. And did you know said, who well, they were? Yeah, I knew who they okay. were because they were you know? they were huge, and one of the biggest yeah. that was their height. And 
They were a very different band. This is what I think is kind of interesting, too. They were a very different band in 1985 than they were in 1989 when you sang for them. They were far more of a synth-pop band early on. They became more oh, yes. soulful and jazzy when you Absolutely. came Absolutely. Yeah. But everybody here basically knew about everybody wants to rule the world. Sure, yeah. And, uh, shout and... And, yeah, and shout. Yeah. And so, you know, I, to me, Roland was the guy who looked like, who reminded me of Donny Osmond because of the ah. teeth, you know, and it was, I was kind of like, so what, you know, what is a yeah. John said, you know, you, you want to say hi to Osmond? I'm like, no. I knew at that point that the Hyatt was also going to get rid of me because the food and beverage guy who brought me there and did all this stuff for me, he was promoted to a hotel in Korea or somewhere, somewhere in Asia, which meant that it was the end of my stay, even though I had a contract that was on the, still on the books. When the new Why guy comes in, when the new guy comes in, all contracts are known for oh. But that's, that's I mean, I mean, I, you know, this story applies to record labels as well. The, yeah. As you know, the head who assigns you and loves you gets fired, and the new guy wants all his own soldiers, and right. you get left out in the cold. But um, it, in there, it never, yeah, and but that never makes sense, and it makes even less yeah. sense in a situation like this, because yeah. if you're drawing a crowd and and you've got an audience that comes to this hotel, who cares? I mean, what right. isn't the whole point to make money? You're doing that. Why would someone exactly. stop that? Exactly. That Makes was his job what, easier to leave you Exactly. There. By the way, the the Dove Club became very, very popular. And that guy from Crown Center who fired me came over, saw the crowd and said, oh, wow, I wish we had her. It was just stupid. <laughs> yeah. It was stupid. But yeah. that's what happened. And so anyway, I did not meet them on that night. Well, I was playing with my trio there, and I was just singing my heart out. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. for whatever time I have left, there were fewer and fewer places to play in Kansas City at that time because uh, disco came mm-hmm. in and everybody, you know, the, the whole thing changed from audiences wanting to be listening audiences until to they then wanted to participate. That meant mm-hmm. guys who spin records and they could get up and dance and whatever. Mm-hmm. That's what okay. they wanted. That's Got not it. what I did at that room, sure. so, but mm-hmm. that was what was happening everywhere. So there were fewer places to play. Okay. So I was singing my heart out, and I didn't meet him. And two years later, after I had gone through losing that job and then having to leave Kansas City in order to get work. I went and played piano bar in St. Louis at Union Station at a place called Fedora. And uh, it was so bad until I actually had people uh, I sat there you know Union Station is a shopping center. It used to be a Mm. railroad station where you know the train comes into town. I I think it might still be there. Mm. But Fedora's is kind of open into the shopping area, so that and it's also a restaurant where you could eat. And okay. so I built up a, qual- a following there. But I still lived here in Kansas City. But I would drive home on the weekends or every other week. I would mm. keep Got my tip, tip money and 
and keep my apartment in St. Louis and then okay. send my check home to my my partner and manager here in Kansas City to pay for the house that I had bought. Okay. It was just one of those things where mm-hmm. things got pretty bad. It was very difficult. In mm-hmm. fact, in St. Louis, there were you know there were a lot of people who would drive. They called it the I seventy gig because people would drive from St. Louis to Kansas City. When I was at Crens Crown Center, they would do it regularly to come and hear me do shows. It mm. was really popular. Mm. So then I found myself in St. Louis, and I had one lady who heard me at the piano bar at the doors, and she listened for a couple of sets, and uh, and she said, you know what? She said, I don't know why she said this, but she did. She said, you, you're you good. I said, thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, you're really good. She said, you're almost as good as Lolita Adams. <laughs> Well, that's a compliment, in a way, right? A really good one. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, at least, you know, you. she may not have remembered your name exactly. She, but yeah, she didn't recognize me because it was just me at the piano yeah. instead of having my, you know, bass and drums with me. Right. And then, and in fact, I had someone else come up and say, I see they brought you here. What they what do they do with your with, with your bass and drums? And mm. you know, it was just that sort of thing. And then, and then I did yeah. a duo with the drummer in St. Louis at another place. And one of those situations where it, that that had to, that was '85 because we were in the World Series that uh, the oh, Royals sure, were sure. in the. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, Wasn't it the Royals? No, you know what? It was. It was. It was either '80. It was probably '84. It was 84 or 85. It wasn't because 85, yeah, I was, yeah, 85, I was still in Kansas City at the signboard because I'll never forget that. Yeah, we were there. So it had to be 86. 86, the Royals wasn't in it, but I think the Cardinals were in it because people were in the bar and they had a television over our heads and it was always a big difficult thing yeah. when after your break the the <laughs> the room manager would say, Okay, go turn the television off <laughs> like, right. I'm not right. in the right. midst of the series. I'm not gonna go turn the television off. <laughs> right. No <Nope, laughs> and then you start do. playing. No, I'm not gonna do it. Yeah. And uh that that was that's also fun, you know, to perform uh, while everybody's looking over your head watching a a baseball game. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Anyway, I've been well humbled. But so yeah, yeah. two years later, after '85, here's hearing me. I got a phone call when I was back in Kansas City playing piano bar because that's all that was left. It was Roland mm. and Roland Orzabal, and mm-hmm. the the accent sounded authentic. And he told me everything I sang that night said it, it really moved them to tears and, oh, and he said that I had, uh, we had with a trio more emotion than they had with eight people on stage or more mm. in all those machines and stuff. And he, wanted, he had a song called Woman in Chains and wondered if, if I would put that same kind of emotion into that song. 
And they came favorite to see me. Of all time. Yes. Yeah. And then they came to see me a couple of weeks later. They they made the phone call first. I kept asking them, "Are you guys on your way to another gig?" Nope. They came to see. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, you got another. You have some business over here. And like, right. Nope. They came to see you. Wow. In fact, Kurt told the the customs person and the immigration people, and they said, "What is your?" You know, what is the reason you're here in the States? He said, we're going to see Olita. Of course, they no had no idea. Right. I remember Kurt telling me that. So they hung around for about three days, and they came to my house. We sat and talked, played music, and I sang at the piano. I had a piano in my house, and, and then they'd sing something or play something mm. for me. We went to the record store, and... They bought bought one of my records that I had done in '83, and I mm. bought one of their a couple of their records to hear what they did, and yeah. we talked some more, and that was the beginning. And uh, in '88, that was that was '87, and in '88 they uh, sent me a ticket, and I recorded with them. I was already scheduled to do piano bar in Scandinavia for seven months. Oh. Uh, uh, all over Scandinavia and Holland, yeah. and uh, at the end of that, they, you know, I recorded for a full month of January, did my tour alone, and then they found out where I was, called me, and asked me to stop back by England before I went home to do mm-hmm. some more work on the record, and that's the beginning. And then because of the work I did with them, Roland's told the, the guy, the A&R person, you should sign her because when yeah. this comes out, you know, uh, somebody, everybody's going to be asking yeah. her to sign. So it sounds like Roland was really the first person to kind of put his money where his mouth is. I mean, you you had been getting compliments exactly. and close, you know, almost things happening for years, but Roland was the first guy to really step up and make it happen. That's incredible. Now, I, you know, Woman in Chains, as I mentioned, is, you know, one of my favorite songs of all time. My brother, who I'm very close to, is his favorite song of all time. In fact, I'm seeing Tears for Fears day after tomorrow here. They're coming through town here in Denver with uh, Hall & Oates. 
Oh, and, great. Uh, yeah, I still their top five favorite band of all time of mine. So I've heard the Seeds of Love album, you know, a million times in my life. And one thing that I think gets lost is, yes, Woman in Chains is one of the greatest songs ever, but your performance on Batman's song is one of the most amazing R&B vocals I've ever heard, you know? <laughs> It really is. Thank you. Thank it's you. It's so much. true. I mean, I know the other one, the hit, but it's. Uh, I, I was listening to it again today, just and it just was blowing me away. How are you feeling when you're, you know, you're used to the piano bar in Kansas City and hear this pretty big size, big named band comes through and recruits you to be a part of them, and I think you go on tour with them and open and sing with them and everything. Does that feel like the 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 coming to life of the dreams that you've had for? I mean, you're in your mid thirties by that point, you know. Right. You know, I'd lived a lot, and yeah. with that many disappointments, I I was like, you know, it probably won't last. But thank you, Lord, for what I have this moment. And it was kind of like that. I mean, it was performing. You know, I was. I loved all the big band, you know, with all the sound, you know, and it was loud and all of that. But we worked very, very hard, so it was very exciting. I loved starting the show. Did you see the show? No, I never saw them live back then. Uh, oh, man. I know. If you get your hands on... Well, I know there's concerts coming. online. I've seen some online. Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, I started the show. It would just be me on stage starting, I believe, I would sing that, at a grand piano, center of the stage, three feet high in the air. And then the guys would come on, and we would start, and I would play. And you know, and yes. first of all, when I'm when I start singing, I'm kind of in the dark, and I just start singing. I believe, and people are going like, "Who is that singing?" Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh 
that's the way it started out. But halfway through the tour, people had heard about me, and then they started screaming and hollering. And mm. I kept thinking that, you know, because I had a featured part in the show, and I thought that Roland, who was singing back up for me on uh, I Gotta Sing My Song and mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of other things with the other background singers, I thought they were upstaging me because people were screaming and hollering. Mm. <laughs> I guess them was it. What what's yeah. going on? People are screaming. That they're screaming for you. Yeah, <laughs> that is incredible. That's incredible. So that took me some time to get used to because, yeah. as far as yeah. I was concerned, I was like, I'm band, I'm muso. Yeah. You know, I'm playing yeah. the piano for this. I'm back up. I I can handle it. You know. Yeah. I've been performing a long time. I've done other shows, and so yeah. I was just working. Okay. Can I ask you a couple kind of nerdy inside Tears for Fears questions about that period? Yeah. Now this was this album unfortunately marked the end of their partnership for a long time. Did you notice uh tension in the air between the two of them? And then secondly, was how involved was Kurt? Because I've always had the impression, and this is only based on, you know, my opinion, is that I felt like Roland sort of took creative control by that point in a lot of ways and Kurt was kind of you know uh left in the dust a little bit was is any of this founded okay so your first question is funny to me um oh really could could you feel any tension <laughs> that's a funny question could you feel any tension oh, really <laughs> we were on the bus for a lot of the tour in Europe and then when you got to the state, so uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there was tension. <laughs> oh boy! Okay, okay. They sort of made, in a way, they they sort of made some choose because you had the front of the bus and the back of the bus. Mm. The back of the bus was Kurt's area. The front of the bus was Rome, and you sort of had to choose where you going. Got it. Which part you're going to sit in? I kind of sat in the middle, but it was more mm-hmm. toward the front. Okay. And, okay. And uh, I loved them both, and I tried sure. to let them know that I loved them both. Mm-hmm. It was a sticky situation because I got an awful lot of attention, and okay. they placed an awful lot of attention on me and on Roland because he was a creative person. However, I have to say that uh, Kurt was involved also. But when it came to actually putting this stuff down, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, Roland had this. Roland was there. He lived pretty much day and night. Well, I won't say night because back then the budgets were great, and you, you know, you worked during the day, and we ate very well. We'd yeah. go out to dinner and have a, a really good time. Kurt wasn't so much with us during those times, but I stayed with Kurt. The first part of our relationship was his first wife and mm. and their home in Bath. It was absolutely unbelievable. And really? So generous to me, oh, and they treated me like I was a member of the family. and And he was just sweet, and he's a smart good. cookie. He's good. the business guy. Roland oh, is, is not the okay. yeah. Roland is not the business guy. Kurt is the business guy. Kurt mm-hmm. could work for a, a record company if he wanted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Roland was the musical guy. Got it. But 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 they're both such smart individuals. It really mm-hmm. was a good a good pairing. And the only thing was that it just came to a point that when you grow up together from childhood, yeah. then you you know you kind of get sick of one another. Sure. That's very natural, mm-hmm. very very natural. Mm-hmm. But they. It was great. The voices were balanced and blended. And uh, if someone else played some of the part, you know, on the recording, Kurt would shed at those parts. He he learned to play all of those parts in the live gigs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's a musician. So do you think at the root of their of their kind of tension and dysfunction is just two guys who've been around each other for so long, kind of getting sick of it? Okay. okay. Yeah. And then, okay. you know, when you've had that great success, it's, I mean, massive success. Oh, yeah. It's really, oh, yeah. you know, then you get into the creative part, and that becomes mm-hmm. very difficult. Kurt yeah. also went through a phase where he just really wanted to be the poppy, starry kind, you mm-hmm. know. And mm-hmm. Let's just play a lot, you know. Yeah. I don't mean musically. I mean just play uh-huh. like a, a young man. And so that was a different thing. And, mm. uh, and whereas Roland was very, very serious, he wasn't into okay. partying and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, was did drugs play a part in some of this stuff? Never. Do you remember? Never. Oh, really? Never. Okay. They didn't. They don't strike Absolutely. me as drug guys, but you know, it was the yeah. '80s. No. Everyone. Not okay. ever. And I was okay. a, you know, a real good Christian girl. I'm sure. going to say there was no swearing because. The Brits know how to swear. <laughs> I learned words I had never heard before. <laughs> yeah, but that it. was that was a lot of the band as well. You know, I mean, okay. there's it's it's musos, you know. So. Yeah. Okay. One other really insidery question. I don't know if you'll know this. Badman song, which I mentioned, which is a masterpiece. It says in the on the CD and on the song, "Here's to the boys back in six two eight. Who are yes. the boys in 628? They were somewhere out, and I forget where they were, but those were guys who were talking about them. Okay. Uh, you know, I've had that happen, too, where you go to the restroom and you're in the stall and uh-huh. the, and, and the people come in when you're – I was in a competition in high school once, and that happened to me. Okay. And they talked about, you know – that black girl who's singing with the aliens or with the Meister singers is what we mm. call it. Mm. And, uh, and it's always a strange, weird experience to have somebody talking sure. about you when you're right there, you know. So yeah, I think it's know. one of those okay. situations in a, I don't know if it, it was a, it had to be a, a hotel and they overheard somebody okay. talking about them. Okay. Yeah, when he said, you know, here's to the saints that are quick to judge me. And I've always wondered if there was some right. kind of a religious context, subcontext no. going on or no, what it, it was. No, okay. just, just some way. Uh, okay. That's one thing I learned. Uh, Roland taught me about writing. Um, how you, well, those were personal songs. Those mm-hmm. were, Batman's song was rather personal. Uh, Woman in Chains was rather personal. Rhythm of Life, which Roland wrote mm-hmm. for Tears for Fears, and then decided oh. that yeah, he wrote that for Tears for Fears, but didn't, didn't put it on the album because he he felt like it, it 
they didn't it didn't suit them that yeah. well. You know? Yeah, Nikki Holland. Uh, Nikki Holland wrote that. Yeah. Uh, Roland and um, Nikki. So he gave I didn't it to realize. me. Okay. Yeah. I knew he. And, I knew they wrote that. I didn't know it was meant for them initially. Yeah. yeah, and it's been remixed so many times. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Still, that's a great song. So your debut album comes out in 1990, and it's so good. And you're you're getting the chart success that you've, I'm sure, had been dreaming of for almost 30 years by that point. Well, not 30, 20. And uh, it's finally happening. You've got an album out there with your name on it, and it's selling a million copies, and you've got a hit with Get Here. I mean, this has to start to feel like this is becoming real. I mean, I know that while you were singing with Tears for Fears, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, I'm used to gigs. This could end at any time. Just keep your head about you, but you've got to start now thinking, I'm on the road. It's happening, right? Nah, it it felt pretty much the same. You know, you know. Oh, did it? When really? people when people are flipping out about you, I'm at home. I don't yeah. hear it. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't hear it. I I yeah. often sit and look and read some of this stuff and hear comments and stuff, and I often think, Gosh, it's too bad I missed all of that. <laughs> but certainly, I've, I mean, I've know, never have... really felt like the star. Even when I sold out, I didn't really, really feel like the star. I felt, uh, even to this day, it's just like, yeah, this is the way it goes. The, well, uh, the place is full first, and yeah. you sell out. Yeah, we got sold out shows, and then, uh-huh. and then you hang on. <laughs> I can tell I can tell from talking to you where your I don't know if it's where you it's kind of where your home base or your affection is and it certainly yep. comes from those years and years of trudging away and that mm-hmm. laid your foundation and infrastructure yeah. and the and the success the the worldly success that we all see the big checks and the platinum records and stuff like that it doesn't it's like you know taking the girl out of a small town or whatever it is you're still at your root this woman who was fighting for 20 years to just keep a job and fill a room and sing the right songs for the right people at the right time it sounds like right 
it okay. hasn't changed, and I'm still living in the small town, except it's a big town that doesn't know it's a big town, and so it's small town feeling. That's okay. why I love living here in Kansas City, which is why I don't live in L.A. I I wanted to stay where if something happened, my number must have come up on your phone. This is Kansas City. We have outrageous storms, so if we get... Uh, disconnected, I'll call you back, okay? Okay, okay. It Sounds is good. ugly outside my window. Ooh, really? A, a real bad one tonight. Oh, but wow. anyway, okay. yeah, I I don't change. I, I always said I wanted to keep my feet always on the ground, and then I'd yeah. have, uh, uh, it wouldn't be so far that I would have to fall. <laughs> okay, okay. That's very wise. You can tell yeah, that you, you know, have your street smarts. About you and about you know what else? I understand, and I want you to make this clear. My success isn't like a Mariah Carey, Whitney mm-hmm. Houston. It's not like a Janet Jackson. It's not like even, you know, the ones who, when they do their thing, even what was her, Alicia Keys. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. that kind of thing because they're they're they were very young when they were doing their stuff. Theirs was based around image and dance and youth. Mm -hmm. My stuff has never, ever been based around youth, dance, or image. It's always been based around emotion and adult thinking and inspirational yeah, and 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 serious love songs and that sort of thing. I mean, when you think that you know the song "Get Here" became a success because of Desert Storm, mm-hmm. for one mm-hmm. thing, you know, it came out during that time. It's attached mm-hmm. to Desert Storm. Then it puts me in a total different category, and therefore it's little on the tightrope. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sort of side of things, so it's yeah. not. It's not. You know. Oh, she has a song we can dance to because you know. Yeah, no, for me, right. I was going. No, I want to sing another ballad. Right. Right. <laughs> and know, when I did, yeah, and I wanted to express myself. Sure. You know, I've lived so long. I wanted to say what I wanted to say. Right. You know, so that's how songs like "My Heart Won't Lie" came out. Say we look good together In their eyes you're my ideal You've got so many things going for you But there's one thing that can't be concealed
the but the the record company hated it. Not in the Netherlands, but in America, they huh. were not that thrilled with my second record. But that was a bigger record for me in the Netherlands, for example. Oh, interesting. And uh, yeah, okay. than the than the than the first one. Yeah. So, you know, because I had serious music down there. Yeah, you know, you saying all this, I'm realizing. I think I think with the success, the sellout, as you called it, I wouldn't have called it that, but you you did it. The sellout success. What I think it really did was allow you to continue to have the career you had been having, but maybe with some greater security. Maybe, right. maybe, you know what I mean? Because now you're a name. So it's like, just let me keep doing what I was doing. I'm good at right. it. But now right. I'm not going to be looking for hotels in Tulsa, Oklahoma to go work for. I can call my right. own shots now. That exactly. makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Okay. Yeah. So I got to, I got to ask you a couple more stories, a couple more questions. First of all, two rooms the Elton John and Bertie Taupin tribute album that, you know, they don't really make those too much anymore. And they were a thing there in like the late eighties and through the nineties for a while. And I think yeah. that one's gotta be maybe one of the most successful and, and you're on it and you do the most, you know, mind blowing version of don't let the sun go down on me. I can fly no more Stand still before me. Frozen here on the ladder of my life. Too late.
Do you remember how that happened, or is there any interesting mm-hmm. anecdote or story relating to that album? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Because you were uh, uh, a pretty fresh artist at that point. I mean, you're one of the yeah. lesser known, not lesser known, but you know what I mean? You're one of the less legendary names that's on that album. Right. But interestingly enough, I had to fight for that song because I tried to do Someone Saved My Life Tonight. Mm. Tino hated that song. He hated, he didn't want to play it, oh. uh, Pino Palladino. You know sure. what I'm talking I do know who you mean. <laughs> and then, so we were trying to decide, what song am I going to do then? So somebody said, well, I think it's Joe Cocker has Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Mm. And I fought for that song. I said, really? I want that song. Yeah. I said, I've sung it before, and I want that song. I want to do that one. So they went to battle for me, and I got that song. That's and great. it was supposed to be the first release off that album. I, I'm sorry. shows you how old I am. It's still an album. <laughs> I still call it that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it was supposed to be the first release. And so they said, okay, going around the fall. They were releasing that. And a couple of weeks later, I hear one of my players said, Miss Olita, they called me Miss Lita. Miss <laughs> Lita, you know, Elton John and George Michael, they done put out Don't Let the Sun Go Down. They're playing their record. Oh, and I said, time. what? Yes. And he said, and so that's what was going at the same time. Oh. So because it was George Michael and Elton, of course. of course, they got more play. Oh, yeah. On more stations, because, of course, you know, with a voice like mine, you're, it's going to be limited stations because, well, number one, I'm a black woman. Number two, I've got a really thick, big voice. And yeah. in spite of the fact that I'm known for Get Here, guess who's going to get more airplay? Of course. Right? Did Elton okay. ever apologize to you for this? As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, we did the... God, I have a better memory than I thought. We did an Andre Agassi uh, event. It was in Las Vegas for his foundation for Mm -hmm. children. And and that would have to be in the 90s, Mm -hmm. probably around 94, maybe, 94, 95. Yeah, because I was married. Uh, Our dressing rooms were next to each other before we did that big show in Vegas uh, at, for Andre Agus. Brooke Shields was his girlfriend at the time. Yeah, I have yeah. a picture of it here at the house. Uh, Elton and Robin Williams was also on the show. And uh, David Foster was, I think, the music director. And Elton's dressing room was right next to mine. There was a knock at my door before the show. Not, not, not John answered the door. And he said, um, excuse me, may I speak to Polita? Um, do you think she'll speak to me? That was what he said. Do you think she'll speak to me? Oh. And so I said, John said, just a moment. So John uh-huh. said, Elton's out here. He wants to know if you'll speak to him. So he came in. He said, Olita, I wanted to apologize to you. I know that was a really mean thing. And I just want to tell you, I know it wasn't fair. I'm very sorry. I said, you're so 
That yes. was wrong. That was yes. just he so wrong. Yes, he yes. ruined it. But, but at least he made good to you personally. I'm glad to hear that. But here's the here's the here's the thing. So that year, both of us got nominated for Grammys yeah. in different categories before that song. <laughs> and neither of us won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. Oh, man. Well, good. I've I've always loved that whole album. I think it's top to bottom so good. And it's you're a like one of the big highlights on that thing. Okay. <laughs> so we got to talk about Third Set, your new album. And I think it's yeah. really, I was reading, I think it's really interesting why you called it Third Set. I, I wondered yeah. that until I read Tell us what the name of the album is about. I told you I did three shows a night, six nights a week, mm-hmm. sometimes 50 weeks a year. Oh my God. Uh, that's a lot of singing, and you yeah. can it's really hard to keep the excitement. How do you keep the excitement? Well, after a while, I decided that, you know, when you're playing a hotel, you don't know who your audience is, so you have to do all the popular stuff. You know, mm-hmm. in those days, it was Wind Beneath My Wings, and it was mm-hmm. New York, New York, New York, and Feelings, and, you know, yeah. uh, all that stuff like that. And you did those popular songs for the first two sets. The second set was usually the biggest. The third, if there was anybody there at that time of night, they really wanted to be there. And the third set became our set, the musician's Mm -hmm. set, where we did the stuff that we felt like doing. And it was the most creative part of the set because you weren't pressured into doing what you didn't want to do. And we had the freedom to just explore music, play it as long as you want. And I I pretty much did that throughout the, the, you know, my career made the third set, you know, just fun for the musicians uh-huh. and it was in that set that new york state of mind that arrangement developed some folks like to get away take a holiday from a neighborhood hop a flight to miami beach or the hollywood But I'm taking a greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. I've seen all of those movies. But I know what I'm needing And I don't want to waste more time I'm in a New York state In in sets like that, in fact, Get Here uh, ended up in the third set It It started out in the first set Oh, interesting but you'd have to do a shorter version of it. 
In the yeah. third set, I could sing it for 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> it was like variations in the key of B yeah. flat, you know. Oh, and it, until I finally, you know, came upon the arrangement that I wanted. And yeah. that's what you hear today. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's And so that's why concept. it's called third set. Got it. Now, why did it take eight years to put out a new album? And... Um, you know, one one thing we try to touch on here is sort of the business side of things. What were you, what have you been doing for eight years? I mean, I guess to an outsider, we're thinking, well, if we don't see an album from Molita, is everything okay? What's she doing? What do you do oh, during those man, days? I was I was working for one thing. I didn't realize uh-huh. that. I don't, where did the years go? Yeah, I don't know where the years go. <laughs> I put out um, "Let's Stay Here." And I don't know how it got to be that long before the next record. Let's just freeze the frame, savor the moment, never let it fade away. Let's just pretend there's just you and me forever, if only for this I don't know what happened. Time flies. John and I don't have children, so we can't watch the day-to-day. You know, for us, when you're getting on and off playing, it just goes by so quickly. And so a part of me sort of became, you know that in those eight years, the whole business changed. And if you you closed down as many record companies as, as I have, your feeling is, I ain't throwing no more money away at that thing. You know? <laughs> oh, and that was my attitude. But then you know what happens? All the places you play every year, and I have a number of places so that I play every year. You know, they ask me back every year. Then pretty soon the proprietors or the, the managers or the guy who books you there at that place will say, Oh, you need to, you need a new record. Oh. And what that means is the only way they're going to get the kind of publicity that they want to get for that is if you do a new record. They're hoping that the excitement about your record creates oh. the spark so that it, it would put you in the limelight. They have you at their place again, and it yeah. brings out a whole new group of people. That makes sense. That's yeah. what they're hoping. Oh. 
That's that's what they're hoping for. Okay. And so basically, they want you to do a new rec- a new record to fund <laughs> advertising yeah. for. That's sure, really sure. what it means. Yeah. And uh, and if I felt like I didn't have anything else to say, that was constant. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I I guess I did. I just kind of felt, you know, I'm growing older and uh, I wasn't sure if I really, how long I wanted to do this, you know, because it's a long time. And, I, you know, after a certain point, you, you kind of think, well, is you start talking the R word, you know, retirement. Sure, sure. <laughs> Although yeah. musicians rarely retire, yeah. but but the, it's the travel part you want to retire from, yeah, you know, so which yeah. which would mean that you you wouldn't necessarily stop singing, but all that traveling around just really gets to you. And then uh, our thoughts, because we do, my husband and I do have a life. And even though it's just the two of us here, we we think to ourselves, now, do we want to keep doing this until we're, you know, 85 and then we quit and then suddenly we die, you know, or do we want to have a few years, good years left? And that's a serious thought. Uh, what happened to Jerome, you know, he retired and then only had two weeks left. So yeah, you don't want that. And and so it, it it stops like that. On the other right. hand, do musicians retire? <laughs> we don't There's know. Somewhere, right? And so yeah. how often, like how many times a year do you play? And where do you usually play? Oh, Lord. Oh, One okay. year it was, it's like, I still go to Netherlands. We got a 12-city tour in December in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. And uh, and I just got back from Suriname uh, oh, a few weeks ago, and okay. so it's like we oh, still okay. do Indonesia, and we did Serbia, and we did uh, Africa, South Africa. I'm on schedule for South Africa huh. for next year. Um, I still play all the local okay. states in America. So we're yeah. at B.B. King's every year, at Catalina's in Los Angeles every year. We're at the Birchmere in <sighs> Alexandria, Virginia, Virginia every year, the Ram's Head. We, uh, this year we're going to Birmingham, Alabama. I did a okay. writer's showcase in Meridian, Mississippi. You're we're all there. over the place. Yeah, exactly. You were here. You were here in Denver. Yeah, at the Soil Dove. I was gonna. I know at the Soil Dove, and I found out about it later. And when I did, it was a few days ahead of time, and it was sold out. And so I didn't get to go. And I wanted to go because I've never seen you in concert. Oh my goodness! I know. You're gonna have to fix that. I know. I almost emailed your people and asked, and I thought that was too selfish. The next time you come through here, I'm going to be there for sure. Absolutely. Well, see, it's all of those places. So we still do all of that. And and I stay busy. And then when you do that, you don't have time to make a record. And the only way, okay, here's the deal. So the only way I got this record done is we tried to tape some shows and thought, well, we could have a live record. But there was always something wrong. The, 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 there was a buzz. The piano was out of tune. 
something didn't do right, it wasn't a good performance, or it was a good performance, but everything was out of tune or buzzed or whatever. So finally I just said, well, instead of doing that, why don't we just go in, if we're going to do a live record, let's just go in a studio and play them down. Yeah. And pretty much that's what we did. So in two and a half days, we did this record. Really? Seriously. Two and a half days. And I told you I closed everything down. The studio where we recorded it is no longer there. Oh, no (laughs) way. We are the last ones to record that in that place. It was called How much thought did you put into the songs that you performed? Because there's, you know, Blown in the Wind, there's covers on there. Are these things that have traditionally been in your third set? Or were it's they? In, it, okay. It's in our show that we, uh, our shows that we were doing over the last year. like that torchy, loungy, beautiful, you and a piano sound, uh, yeah. it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah. Okay, so i got to ask two last questions. These are two questions okay. I ask pretty much everyone, and you've been so gracious with your time. I'm so glad we did this. Like I said, I was waiting two years for this, so I'm so glad we yeah, did this. Yeah, bless your heart. <laughs> um, number one, do you have any regrets? Is there anything that – and when I say that, I need to stipulate, I'm talking about a decision you made. That if that you if you had made a different decision, something would have bounced differently, and you would have ended up in a different place that you maybe you wish you had. And some people don't have them. That's fine. The other thing is, I just want to know what your tastiest memory is. And maybe it's you know, I'm once you did kind of hit big, you were meeting other singers and famous people, and probably I'm guessing idols of yours. Is it something like that? Is it something smaller what are the answers to those questions oh i probably have gobs of those moments oh really uh, and trying to remember is uh, is always a problem as it'll okay. be after i hang up in the 3 a.m <laughs> i'll probably think of the one but right. as far as regret you know there are always decisions that you probably could have done something differently um but i don't know if if my personality would have. I turned down the circle of life from The Lion King. It ended up being the movie of the year. Really? Actually, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that I turned it down as much as they turned me down. Oh. Um, but, uh, wow. Remember my, my, I know. Uh, my, remember my first record is called Circle of One. 
Yep. And I thought it would be too confusing for one thing. Oh. If you, sometimes if you play that song, Circle of Life, that Elton uh-huh. John wrote, me singing it and his singing it would have been two different things. And I'm not sure, I, I, I'm not sure that I would have gotten it anyway because it would have probably sounded too soulful for the show. You know, I would have had to put a, Broadway voice on it or something, and I'm not sure that would have worked anyway. I did audition for it, and I did not get uh, a call back. I'm not sure uh, if I really had a choice on that, but that would be the one, the one regret. And and honestly, that's only because I could have used one extra push. Mm -hmm. But the stuff that I've done, I really like. Good. And and I and I made sure I was told a long time ago, make sure you sing the stuff you like because if not, you'll have to sing it over and over and over Very again. True. Oh my God! Ask uh, Bobby McFerrin, you know. Poor guy. Oh man, he's a genius for all these other things, and he's got the one. I song. know. Oh I my know. Gosh. He's amazing. So, uh, you know, whereas a part of me wishes that I had. Uh, hit the big one sooner. Another part of me does not because the timing just has been absolutely right. And I'm glad I was an adult to be able to handle, a real adult, to be able to handle that success. I've seen what happens to a lot of all of these singers. You know, I've talked to a lot of them and they're so successful and they're so sad. And... I don't want to be sad. I'm no. I'm happy. You know, no. I, I love singing. I love looking forward to the music. Good. If I could have a, a little bit more of the voice I had in 2002, that would be great. <laughs> but then I'm asking not to age, and, sure. and that sure. means I would die. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm good with it. Okay, good, good. It worked out nicely. Okay. Yeah, and I think those moments, um, oh, I've had a lot of moments where, you know, we were able to afford nice vacations and stuff, John and me, and and it's just, those are personal moments that we've enjoyed, you know. Um, Obviously, being on Oprah's show was great. I had lunch with her um, first, you know, in probably 92, and I, no, 93, it was 93, I had lunch with her in her other studio in Chicago, just the two of us, when Rosie was her chef, and that was a really big moment, because if if I was sitting there alone with Oprah, that was a big deal, and I have sung in her home in Santa Barbara for her friends, her very first party there. No that way. was a huge that was a huge moment. And that meant a whole lot. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that she requested that I, you know, sing and um but by the same token doing a gig, some sort of gig somewhere and Eric Clapton was there and as I'm walking down the hallway he says, Olita and he calls me by my name and talks to me. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was Eric. Eric just said, he said, 
Alita, that was a horrible thing that Elton did. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's right. That's right. That was another way I found out about that. Uh, But he knew who I was, you know. That's incredible. You know, that's incredible. It's 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 like wow, these people know who I am, and yeah, that's amazing. You know, and then I go and come back to Kansas City, and (laughs) yeah, back in Kansas City, like nothing ever happened. (laughs) That's so great. Absolutely, good. Just really, really, you know. I mean, I've I've shared the space with a whole lot of people, and you know, all of those gigs. I I I've got a chance to play the places. You know Carnegie Hall. Oh, Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Oh, sure. Um, I did I the big band that. tour with him in '98, and yeah. it, and we toured uh, Europe, America, and South America, and it was it was a South. No, it was Europe and America, and it was okay. with the big band. That was great. You can find yeah. that right. on uh, that YouTube. One. You're right. And uh, that he was he was really, really, really wonderful. Good, good. Uh, to work with and singing with that big band was great. Good. Um, and my heart, I just say, I'll say this and let you go. Okay. I am forever indebted to all of my fans and friends in the Netherlands. They have really? always given me a place to play, even when I didn't have a record. Interesting. And, uh, and I'm just so thankful. Thank you so much for talking to me, Alita. I think you're wonderful, and uh, you know I'm a I'm a gigantic Tears for Fears fan, and that turned me on to you, and I became a fan of yours. But few things in this world touch me deeper than hearing you sing, especially Woman in Chains and Badman Song. And so I am so grateful that you talked to me. I just wanted you to know. Oh, that. it's my pleasure, John. Thank you, yeah. and I you wish bet. you all the best with your career. Thank you so much. There you have it, Alita Adams. I love the way she sees her career. You can tell she's very clear-eyed and sober about what it would take to play the games in show business, and she doesn't need it. She's comfortable with her level of success. She plays the game that she wants to play, and she does it successfully. And I think that is an especially admirable trait today. I love Olita, and I'm so grateful that she talked to me. By the way, I gotta thank her publicist, Chevy, for making this happen. Thank you so much. Uh, Now, I should close the show with another Alita Adams song. I feel a little bad about this, but I love her performance on Tears for Fears' Bad Man song so much that I got to play that. You may have noticed we didn't play it earlier. I was saving it to the end. I think this is one of the most amazing vocal performances by a female ever. It's lesser known than Woman in Chains, and so I thought I got to play this and just hope that people get turned on to her and to them. I always think... I want to live inside of the first three Tears for Fears albums. Sometimes I think that's maybe all I need to subsist on for the rest of my life. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I feel sometimes. I just want to live in them. I love them so much. Anyway, thanks again, Alita. Now, uh, teaser for next week. I'm not going to bother teasing it because I've already mentioned it. We're going to be talking to Robert LaRoche of The Size. I had mentioned that that interview was going to be coming up. Next week is the week. They have a new album out. We're going to talk about it, and you'll hear from Robert. It's a really interesting interview, by the way. He's a really nice guy. Huge thanks, as always, to Jan the Man Makevich for putting this together. Thanks, buddy, for all that you do. You're the best. 
the business. You know, you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send me a message on there if you want. If there's somebody you haven't heard from for a while that you'd like to get on the show, please send me a message. I'll do my best. As I've mentioned before, I have a bunch going on right now. And so any new requests may not happen for a few months, but send them in and I'll get to them as soon as I can. You can also send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy Badman's song. Thank you, Olita. We will see you next Tuesday. Chattanooga